And we're back, everybody. My name is Samantha Zessi. My name is Ramor George Philip the first. And this is Masculinity. Thank you for tuning in. Yo, I don't want... No, I want to be this hot taker. I'm going to give you the hottest of hot takes right now. And nobody's going to like it. And I'm sorry. But nobody, you mean me or... I'm just kidding. You guys, he means you guys. Okay. Atlanta, season two, sucks. Careful! It's so good. I don't understand. What about it don't you like? I love it. I... You know what I love? Well, first, why don't you tell me why it sucks? Well, I mean, season one set an incredibly high bar of being this bizarre... Of world building and this bizarre place where the absurd can happen, but the absurd and it happening means that there is the potential for this absurdity to happen in everyday life. And these characters constantly with their stories intertwined and interweaving make this melange of real and surreal. And it was so cool because it was in a community and in a place that was almost dystopic and forgotten. And now we just have these boring narratives that try too hard to be bizarre and weird. And it's just 30 minutes of the same narrative. And I'm just like, Ern, shut up. Wait, have you seen, are you up to date? Yeah. The episode, spoiler alert, the episode where he's like sitting in the back, chopping up with his homie and then dude pulls a gun on him. That's like his friend. And they made him walk. Oh my god, are you crazy? Whatever. Okay, fine. I disagree, and that's okay. So I find I finally started watching This Is Us, and I wanted to like watch it and be like, uh, it's so good. It's so good, and it's like really sappy. But like, I'm not that type of person who doesn't like that. I love sappy shit, and there's all these representations of like love between men. You know, like so much like famil- like family love, like support, gentleness, um, compassion. And like I love Randall's character because like the character of Randall, because he he's like the emb- it's interesting because he like embodies kind of like, you know, he's like the perfect dad, the perfect husband. And you can tell that like, you know, the 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 weight of his family is resting on his shoulders in a lot of ways. And he handles it. It's like interesting because it's like a portrait of traditional, like a traditional family, but he handles it with so much grace and care. You know, these are, these are examples and representations of masculinity. I think not just of men, but of masculinity that, um, we didn't, I don't know if we really ever saw before. Well, I guess that's a, it's a perfect time to transition into uh, why we're here today and why we're uh, really excited about this show. So throughout this whole thing of the Masculinity Podcast, we've been exploring the quote-unquote performance of masculinity as the foundation of this all. We've been covering many ways that we, all of us, expect men to carry and exhibit the, in, in quotes again, the natural male traits rather than see it more as a performance. And there's really no fun in it. I mean, we've been talking about how much of a bummer it is that the performance of masculinity is a go-to for many men instead of just processing what they are dealing with, not only because it's what they've been culturally taught and societally taught, but also because we are all mostly complicit in upholding that structure one way or another. What's unhelpful or you know toxic, as, as we've all been saying these days, is that the performance has become the default rather than just being honest and human about your shit. Exactly. And so today what we want to do is flip this idea of performing gender on its head by engaging in an awesome conversation with a very special guest well, whom, with whom we'll get to explore what it's like to perform exaggerated femininity as a man. So we're lucky to have Ben Strathman. Also known as Honey LeBron. AKA. Yeah. Um, ben is not only a performer, but also a dedicated animal rights activist who is vegan and generally just Shout a Shout out to the fellow vegans. Oh, yeah. Ramoy is a vegan. Yay. Yeah. I am not a vegan. But, you know, hey, I'm in no, solidarity. No one's perfect. <laughs> you know? Well played. You try. You try. Well played. You're doing your best. Um, yeah. So thank you for being here. You're just an awesome, just a very intelligent dude. So we're really happy to have you on the show. Um, and talk about these. Oh my God. 
I'm on the masculinity podcast. <laughs> you guys, I have been listening Yay. to you since episode one. Aww. And you guys have had some really incredible, not just conversations about masculinity, but like some really awesome guests. And so whew, I am following in some big, big shoes right now. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And yeah. I mean, I feel like do you, do you have so many different ways that, I mean, we've talked at, at length about this show and like the things that we're trying to do and, you know, kind of where you're coming from, where I'm coming from. And you have so many different ways that you're like tackling the system. I mean, you're like an animal rights activist, you're vegan, you're a podcast host, you're a drag queen and probably some, a lot of, uh, you're a singer, so many different things that I probably don't even know. And so I just love that you're challenging the status quo from so many different fronts. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, how did you decide to become a drag queen? I, oh, wow. I, I don't think I ever really decided that. It just kind of always appealed to me, if that makes any sense. Um, when I say I would play with my mom's makeup growing up, I don't mean like most drag queens where like they discovered how to like apply a fierce beat when they were like five. I mean like... I would just draw on my face with my mom's lipstick. Uh, you know okay. what I mean? Um, and, I mean, if I, if my mom came home and she saw that her makeup had been ransacked, it was never my sisters that got in trouble. I was always the first, like, Ben, were you going through my makeup again? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, maybe you should just buy me some. Oh my God, that never occurred to me. Like, maybe you should buy your son some makeup so he can play with it. That just hit me right now. Um, but like the idea of um wearing a woman's clothes just always seemed like cheeky and fun and silly to me um probably because like you're not supposed to do it or seeing like bugs bunny dress in drag and like that always just seemed so fun to me um and yeah i've i've probably always i've never really had a chance to do that as a kid i never really had a chance to dress in drag but um, you know, like after watching the movie Thelma and Louise, if you left a handkerchief out, I would wrap it around my head and put on sunglasses and it felt like instant drag to me, you know, just, yeah. Um, and it wasn't really, I, I had my drag name picked out probably from the time I was about 19 and I never actually did drag until I turned 30. So like for 11 years walking around with, I, like I knew my drag name. I'm like, yes, I am Honey LeBronx. That's my drag name but never knowing who she was and like wondering like, what would I look like as a drag queen? What would my personality be like as a drag queen? And yeah. But wait, so how, um, do we have the same question? I don't know, how did you know that Honey LeBronx would exist not knowing who Honey LeBronx was? Like how did, first, how did you get the name Honey LeBronx? Oh my, if you ever ask a drag queen how they got their drag name, just buckle up for the least interesting story you'll ever hear, oh. pretty much. It's usually not an interesting story. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but with that said, uh, my, my, my first, like, uh, I, before I was Honey LeBronx, I used to think of my, like, oh, Roberta Mystique, that would be my drag name. It was my training bra name, basically. Um, but then, I saw the movie Beaches when I was like in third or fourth grade, like you do when you're like, you know, a eight-year-old boy. You watch Beaches and cry. <laughs> um, you, you know. I did. I grew up with a single mom. Right? I mean, that thing was on repeat. Oh, thank you. The lessons that you have to learn in third grade, really. I mean, Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey are there to spell it out for you. But um, hearing Bette Midler's character, yeah, Cece Bloom. So <laughs> well, I have not seen Beaches. Thank oh, you. They all die in the end. Spoiler alert. Um <laughs> Hearing Bette Midler's character, she's telling her friend, you know, she lives in New York City, but she's like, well, it doesn't say New York City. Oh, well, I don't live really in the, the city. I live in the Bronx. Hearing the Bronx, hearing a city that started with a the in it just struck my ear as odd. I'm like, that's weird. I would never say I'm from the Milwaukee or the Wauwatosa, my suburb. Um, and... Uh, it just always stuck out in my ear, the Bronx. And when I first started coming to visit New York when I was like 16 and then 18, hearing the, like nothing sounds more New York-y to me than like, yeah, the Bronx. It just sounds tough, you know, and it just sounds cool. And um, I also spoke, studied Spanish when I was a kid and, uh, and I really loved the language. And I started thinking, I wonder if in Spanish they say La Bronx. The minute I said La Bronx, it hit me and I thought, oh, LeBronx, honey LeBronx, that will be my drag wow. name. Wow. The end. That's how I had my drag name picked out. 
That's amazing. But I love my drag name. I think I Honey think LeBron is like, just oh. the best drag name that there is. No, there is actually... Well, my drag mom, it, uh, she won season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race. Her oh, my name, God. Her name is Bob the Drag Queen. <laughs> There's just not a better drag name than that. Oh, also my drag sister, who is now on season 10 of Drag Race. That, this is true before either of them was on Drag Race, so it's not just bragging rights, but you know, I'm kind of important. Um, <laughs> my drag sister, her name is Ms. Cracker, spelled like the snack or racial slur, she says, because I am thin, white, and salty. <laughs> um, and, uh, but really there funny. is a better drag name out there. There is a drag queen in Australia whose drag name is Karen from Finance. <laughs> Okay. Welcome to the yeah. stage, okay. Karen from Finance. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That is yeah. perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. That's, right now. that's yeah. the best. That's that's, that's yeah. the best name. And yeah. then somewhere down the list, there's Honey LeBronx. <laughs> okay, before we go any further and just like kind of back up, like yeah. just humor me here. Like I'm from Texas. I'm Philistine. I'm I'm straight laced. Uh, in your kind of like personal definition, what what would you describe drag as, or if you could explain it to quote unquote the everyday American. What is drag? So what does drag mean? Uh, You know, if you'd first asked me what drag meant, that changes for me throughout the years. I first thought drag meant when a man dresses up like a woman. And of course that can mean, a lot of different things can be a man dressing up as a woman. That could be, I mean, drag, I, I should say that there is drag, there is um, being a transvestite and there's also being transgender um, and the language on these things are changing or evolving or, or becoming more distinct through the years that like this is gonna probably sound like a dated episode in like a week but um, you know a transvestite for for example which is the furthest thing from what I am or what a trans person is um, is some you know like je- usually a heterosexual male who just gets some thrill out of dressing up like a woman um, you know like Eddie Izzard for example a famous actor and comedian is a transvestite he's a heterosexual straight cisgender male who just or at least I, I think he's cisgender who just likes dressing up in women's clothing for whatever reason he gets a thrill out of it whether it's sexual or otherwise um, d- uh, transgender of course is someone who was assigned a certain gender at birth but they identify as the opposite gender uh, or of course there's gender queer or gender fluid where they're like fuck gender I don't identify as any particular gender or today I feel like a woman tomorrow I don't um, drag which I would have thought of is just dressing as the opposite gender's clothes. But some people would just say drag is just the art of blurring the lines of gender or the art of giving the middle finger to gender. Or drag is basically, as some would say, just fuck gender. Um, this is arguable, but, uh, you know, I mean, our, our language and culture is so many years old, who can say where things came from? But some used to say that in theatrical terms, back when women were not allowed to, uh, all the things that they weren't allowed to do, but when they weren't allowed to perform in theater uh, and men would play women's roles, they used to write in the script, allegedly, dressed resembling a girl which I doubt that because I don't really think they would use those words like dress resembling a girl. I don't think they would. Have, I don't think Shakespeare would have said that. But <laughs> D R A G, dress resembling a girl, means drag. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, many people you know impersonate famous people regularly, but you actually have like an alter ego in Honey LeBronx. We we learned the name, but how did you conjure up that e- that altered personality or ego or that performance? Oh wow! Well, that leads us into a conversation about masculinity. Uh, and I should say that you just helped me realize that there's one other sort of distinction here. There is drag, and then there is female impersonation. Um, both fall under the umbrella of drag, but a lot a lot of drag queens. Uh, will just do female impersonation. Like, oh yeah, I do Tina Turner, or I do Cher, or I do, you know, um, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I Nancy. like, really? Sure, why not? <laughs> Actually, um, I'm sure that would be fun. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whereas um, most drag queens I know just have their own drag character. Um, and oftentimes, they're not necessarily even a character. A lot of drag queens are kind of just themselves. Like, Bob the Drag Queen is not a character. Bob the Drag Queen is the same person in Dragon Out. Um, whereas I've always been a character actor. So, you know, I remember, uh, God, some of the characters that I've played... Um, I played this like 40, 50 year old, probably a 50 year old Texan um, 
when I was 30. So I made myself look like this character who looked, if I showed you a picture, people are shocked. They're like, that's not you. In fact, one day in between shows, we got dressed up for the first show, realized there was only one person in the audience. They decided to come back in the evening for the evening show. And so I just, I was like, I'm not doing this makeup again. So I, I like, I like, you, wore you know, it all day. I just wore it all day. Yes. And I, I, uh, I went out and I, I ran into some friends and I was talking to someone I knew and it was like, I realized like five minutes into the conversation, he thought I was just some new person like visiting New York. And I'm like, no, it's me. And he like looked into my eyes like it, like he was trying to find me through the bushes. He's like, oh my God, that is you. <laughs> so I've when I put on a costume, I become someone else. I guess I should say, um, you know, growing up gay, there were... There's so many different ways into this. I don't know which is the best, but there were different parts of me that like I felt I wasn't supposed to express, but I was taught as a kid, like I remember, best example, I was standing with my hands on my hips one day, just like you do. I remember my dad like freaked out a little bit. He's like, no, 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 thumbs back. Like if, you're, if your four fingers are towards your stomach, your thumb should be like on your kidney. Like that's how boys stand. Girls stand with your fingers on your kidney and your thumb on your abs. Like he didn't break it down like that, but oh, it was, it, I was like, wow. It was, it was, like, I'm trying to like yeah, recreate it visually for the audience. You know, like I'm sure there's people listening to this, like doing that right now. But like he just wrote, you know, thumbs back for boys, thumbs forward for girls. And so growing up, when I would just like want to just chill and relax and just put my hands on my hips, I'm like, oh, uh, I, I, I forget which way. So I'm just going to stand with my arms at my side or just cross my arms. Like I learned to repress my body language because my natural first inclination might be a tell that I'm different. It might give away that like, oh, I'm, I'm a little more girly than the other guys. I, so I learned to kind of hide all those things as a kid. And here I am in drag for the first time where all of those things are actually an asset to the illusion that I'm trying to create. And in fact, I remember um, Alexis Michelle from season nine of Drag Race is the person who first put me in drag for the first time. And uh, I remember like the first thing she taught me, which is like first thing out of the box, you need to learn how to walk because you, you're walking like a guy. You need to walk very different. You need to channel your femininity. Like, where does that come from? It kind of comes from the hips, blah, blah, blah. And like having to learn to literally walk in this world as a woman, I had to learn how to now shut off anything that was masculine and like channel the stuff that was feminine that maybe I never was allowed to channel and like had to find where that would be um, and like allow myself like oh you know what I am going to stand with my hands on my hips the way I want to because that is what feels natural right now so I, I would say that Honey LeBronx who she is as a character sort of came out of all of these parts of me that I had to like sort and label and compartmentalize as a kid, it's like, oh, look, those are neatly set aside for me for when I need them now. Let's bring them all out and wear them as a, you know, performance. That is incredible. I mean, it's interesting because like I feel like in the past few minutes that you've been here, I've already learned so much because I had like all these ideas about what drag was, like how what the process was like. And it's actually not at all what's true. So because, um, yeah, I want to actually talk a little bit about um, this performance of femininity and kind of versus the performance of masculinity. Like, I think, you know, we've We've been talking about the performance of masculinity as something that's kind of like inadvertent, right? Like we, like we think, and and a lot of men think that you know these like traits of masculinity that they have to put on are things that are actually inside of them, and it's like more having to do with some type of defense mechanism. And listening to you, it sounds like it's like drawing from one part of yourself versus another part of yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is. A correction so thank you um and what i'm what i'm curious about is like i feel like i also have to perform femininity in a way that and like when i think about the performance of my femininity for me it's like what i've been told like my mom growing up told me like a girl like you should be like nice and quiet or whatever the hell she said she says that to me all the time 
Um, which like generally I am actually pretty nice and quiet. And like there are moments where I'm like not, right? And so and that those are the parts of myself that I feel like I had to suppress, right? Um, and so, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, before you walked in, I was like thinking about like, you know, Ramoy and I were kind of bantering like, okay, so like the performance of femininity for me versus the f- performance of femininity as a drag queen. And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, you know, there's got to be like notions completely forget about compl- completely forgetting about the fact that I also hold like masculine um, uh, interpreted like just feelings and and also mannerisms and whatever that I had to suppress in the favor of of the performance of femininity I'm like oh like where where are your um your inspirations coming from for femininity and really it's just about expressing the femininity that you already have and for for me I guess on that flip side is about letting those parts of femininity that are a little bit sh- like stronger than the docile, nice, whatever, and letting the parts out of masculinity that are, you know, strong leader, whatever, whatever those, I mean, I don't know. I feel like what I'm saying kind of sounds problematic, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Just the things that we associate with masculine versus the things that we associate with feminine. Um, and like finding a way for all of that to be expressed and not have to amend it based on the situation, even though it sounds like. Could I could I ask? I, yeah. I keep hearing you saying it's different than what you thought it was. Could I ask, like, what your understanding of drag was? Yeah, for sure. I thought so. For me, drag was like you know, it was just a performance of feminine. I mean, I've never seen like the, the like like masculinity being performed as drag. Um, so for me, what I understood drag to be was like, you know, guys performing femininity and like, but like the funnest, most like outrageous part of femininity instead of like this kind of notion of femininity that we have that women are supposed to just be like, like nice or whatever, but instead just being like loud, you know, and like proud about like being strong and feminine and awesome i think i should say that there's you know there's a drag queen by the name of acid betty uh who was on season eight of drag race with bob um who i mean uh she's very she i mean her name is acid betty you can imagine what she looks like she's this out loud punk rock like off the wall look queen um a look queen is someone who's known for turning looks she, I, looking at her uh, as a guy and as a drag queen, there's nothing about her that I think is feminine in behavior, but it's about creating an exaggerated, like, I don't even know how to say exaggerated. Like, imagine if you plugged a drag queen into a wall and rock music started playing, like, like heavy metal. She's a, like, she's a, mo- she's a drag monster. Um, it's a it exploded femininity monster, but it's. Uh, I don't think uh, she would say that it's it's about performing femininity for her. I think it's about, about like recreating feminine. I think there's a, there, a lot of drag. I think is about um, reimagining gender expression and reimagining one's femininity or masculinity or wherever you want to go with that or maybe one's desire to create a third or 17th option like maybe it's a desire to find what else there is other than masculine and feminine um yeah Uh, and i have to just say it's interesting to me to hear what other people think of drag because i used to i've done a lot of things in my time that i'm not proud of I once waited tables at a Dave and Buster's in Times Square. <laughs> oh, I love that Dave and Buster's. <laughs> yeah. I used to scoop Dippin' Dots at an amusement park, so. We, you know, like hard times, there, hard yeah. times. <laughs> We've all, <laughs> we all, um, uh, you know, I, I was discovering drag around the time that I was doing this job. And, um, you know, so every, you know, people that I worked with knew that I was a drag queen. And this one coworker, we were to- somehow, somehow we were discussing drag one day, and he asked me. I, I forget what he asked me or what he said about drag, but it made me stop and ask him for a second. Like, wait, 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 wait. What do you think I am as a drag? Because something he said made me realize he thinks I'm a drag queen because I would rather not be a guy. And I'm like, no, no, that's a di- that. Oh, honey, that's a different thing. And then he was like, well, wait a minute. So like, when you have, ugh, I'm so uh, it's. 
so often like ex explaining oneself as a gay man or even as a drag queen can be so embarrassing because it requires opening up such a part of oneself that like isn't always put on view or put under the microscope in the in like general society but we're sort of expected to and that, that he was like wait a minute but like if you're having sex with someone you're having sex like dressed as a woman right i'm like Again, what do you think? What, what, no judgment if that's what someone's into, but that is not what I am. Like, and he's like, Ben, I think if you spoke with most of your coworkers, that's what everyone naturally assumes. And we like took a survey. He's like, so and so, so and so, so and so. Do, what do you think? What do you think? And everyone was like, yeah, I just naturally assume if you're dating someone, you're dating them as a woman or you're having sex as a woman, or you'd rather, if you had your choice, you'd rather be a woman. And I'm like, no, like I'm so happy being a dude. So it's it's interesting to me how confusing drag is for a lot of people, and um, and it's and it and it helps me understand like that must be part of what's so confronting for people when they see a drag queen like they're forced to confront their own ideas of what they think that is. I, I bet you if most people realize just how silly and natural and you know, uh, non-offensive uh, drag is that like, yeah, it's as simple as that Bugs Bunny dressing up as a woman just for the sake of being silly or for performing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something I, I want to kind of lead into an aside that I don't otherwise think we'll get to, but just talking about drag, you know, there's a whole uh, controversy in the world of drag right now, specifically as it pertains to RuPaul's drag race. RuPaul, who I do not consider RuPaul to be, you know, a... Um, a leader on the uh, front of, of gender expression and whatnot. RuPaul has often said things that are very problematic. And to what you said earlier, to your point, you're like, I feel like what I'm going to say is problematic. Listen, as my high school choir teacher taught us, if you're going to make a mistake, make it loud. But in Drag Race, and I'll end with this because there's so much more to get to, um, you know, RuPaul recently made some very transphobic uh, comments. Really? About, yes. I mean, I don't think she realized that they were transphobic, but there's, there have been a lot of drag queens on Drag Race who are trans women. And some trans women also do drag. A lot of trans people kind of discover their transness by like first getting into drag and then realizing, oh my God, that actually feels closer to my authentic self than, you know... Um, and, and they're like, well, yeah, but they didn't come out as trans until they were on the show. And so that's why it's okay, because they weren't trans when they coming into it, and they came out on the show. That RuPaul was basically saying, like, drag race is not for trans women, or is not for women who, like, come in being upfront that they're trans. Or then she said, uh, I think the comment she made was talking about having gender-confirming gender surgery, like having a breast augmentation or otherwise. And RuPaul made some comment saying, like, listen, you can be an, an athlete and take performance-enhancing drugs, just not in the Olympics. That was her comment. Basically saying, look, you don't get to come on RuPaul's Drag Race and have a boob job. And I want to be like, really, RuPaul, who has songs about wanting rhinoplasty and wanting your face snatched and wanting your ribs removed. I don't know that she's had any of that done, but she has songs where she jokes about all I want for Christmas is my ribs removed, etc. I don't need them no more. Anyway, it was just so... Um, silly of her to say that, I think, because it it it, it does not agree with. And, and and I'll close with this: RuPaul is the first person to say, "Drag is about saying fuck you to gender." And I'm like, really? But no women allowed? Really? Like, the next thing I would love to see on Drag Race would be a cisgendered female drag queen. And I don't mean a drag king. Drag king that is for a separate audience. Drag kings, drag queens. It's a, in my opinion, it's a different art. And drag kings could have their own show. I don't think it would make sense to put drag kings on RuPaul's Drag Race. Send me hate mail all you want. Um, but in the world of drag, I think you can have, you know, cisgendered gay men doing drag. You could also have straight men. Do I would love to see a straight man as I a would drag too. queen I would on actually drag race. love to see that. And I would like love to see lot. a trans women drag queens on Drag Race. And I know several. In fact, I performed with one. My friend uh, Melissa, her drag name, Faye Ludes, like Quaaludes, Faye Ludes, in Chicago. She is a cisgendered female drag queen. And she is killing it she's doing everything a drag queen does and just as well 
Um, and I wouldn't say she's at some advantage because she's a natural, you know, woman. I mean, she's still got to do all the makeup. She may not have to talk, but you know what? Not all men necessarily have to talk yet, you know, anyway. So that's what I have to say about drag and the problematic stuff happening in the world of drag. That's a whole separate conversation. I'm Okay. Great. Well, I mean, I think um, there are a couple of things that you hit here. For the sake of time, unfortunately, we can't delve into all of them. Um, but one thing that I definitely want to get into is uh, this conversation, like, within... So I think that a lot of times people have this notion that, like, you know, it, within the LGBTQ community, like, everybody's welcome, everyone's great, like, and I mean, in a way, it's kind of like a dehumanization, right? Like, not understanding that people within the community of, you know, um, LGBTQ folks have their own issues that they're dealing with, and that, like, the, the, the system of patriarchy, unfortunately, also pervades that. And so I'm just wondering in terms of, like, I know that some people have, and I think you touched on this a little bit, have issues with drag. But also what I want to talk to you about is, uh, is, is masculinity and, like, the performance of mas the performance of gender within the LGBTQ community, more specifically within the gay community. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, something that Bob the Drag Queen once said, he was being interviewed for a documentary, and he was saying, you know, I think it must be really hard to be, and this is an assumption, obviously, but he's like, I think it must be really hard being a straight guy because it's the onus is always on you to prove your heterosexuality. Like, if you're standing around with a bunch of your buddies and someone jokes that you're gay, you have to prove you're not. You have to say, you can't just be like, okay. You can't just be like, whatever. Like, you have to, like, say something or do something about it. And what's funny is, for me, like, as a gay man, I don't ever feel the need to do that. Like, my homosexuality, I'm, I'm comfortable with. I don't have to prove that I'm gay. And if someone said that I was or wasn't, I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah cool. I mean, growing up, though, I, I, I do identify with that growing up, where if someone accused me of being gay when I was earlier, before I was out or before I was comfortable talking about it, I also had to prove, you know, you always have to prove that you're not. But um, even in the um, MSM community, which is what I would refer to it, not the gay community. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, and that's, mm -hmm. uh, oh, no, no, it's not a story thing. It's, uh, it's, I mean, there is the gay community. And what I'm about to talk about, I would call the MSM community because that's the men who have sex with men community. And not all men who have sex with men identify as gay. And even therein, I, sh I should just back up and say that what I'm about to say, toxic masculinity, I have my own sort of working definition of what it is. I, I kind of gleaned a definition of it before I ever looked it up. And when I looked it up, I'm like, that is very different from what I have thought it was. But I think so many people are afraid of the term toxic masculinity because uh, so many men, because they assume it means man bad or like the stuff about men that's bad or men being the problem. I think toxic masculinity for me I understand it as if we can accept the argument that we're all yin and yang, we're all, you know, the divine female and the divine male, we all have male and feminine energy inside of us. Toxic masculinity is an attitude that we're sort of, we've sort of inherited that assumes for men that male is good, female is bad, and anything about us that is feminine or weak or female um, is is bad and we should like eschew that. That's one of those words I'll look up later to make sure I'm using it right. But that we should like put that to the side and distance ourselves from it. Um, like for example, have you ever noticed like you can see a guy on the subway, you know, on the subway, you know, it's very hot in the subway in the summer and people will fan themselves with all manner of objects. But if you handed it, I'm like, oh, I have a fan. Would you like to just, Oh no, you cannot fan yourself with a device that is intended for fanning yourself and cooling yourself off. A man would sooner grab an encyclopedia to fan himself with than quietly crack, crack open a fan. And, right, because it's, no, those are for girls, right? And that's one thing I love about like the comfort that I have now with my femininity, and it still takes something for me to fan myself in public with a fan if I've got one on my person. Like, I'm still aware, like, oh, I'm setting myself apart. I'm making myself look a little queer. But, like, I think that's just a great example of toxic masculinity. Like, I'm not allowed to fan myself in public. I'm not allowed to talk about my feelings if I have a breakup with a woman. You know, and that's why, I mean, we, we had a stabbing, I think, just the other day. A 16-year-old boy in a high school stabbed a girl 
who then went at, she was later taken off life support because she didn't make it because young boys aren't taught how to deal with being you know heartbroken or how to deal with those kind of delicate emotions we're just told like man up don't cry suck it up deal with it and just be tough and that's what i what i think is toxic about masculinity is that we're not you know like you can't you're like not a person it's like if you have an amphibious creature that is supposed to live part-time in the water part-time in you know the oxygen and you force them underwater their whole life they're gonna die or get ill because they're never allowed to dwell in the opposite of that and that's what i think toxic masculinity is is the idea of like you can never spend time in the feminine you have to always stay time most certain things are going to start to die in atrophy so with that said, in the gay community, there are still these old notions of like being manly. And like, look, when I hook up with someone and like a guy comes over, yes, the moment I answer my door, the voice is deeper. I'm usually acting a bit more like a dude bro. And like, there's usually, there's sometimes, like sometimes the spell is never broken. Like we're both totally duty and bro-y. And then, like, once someone, like, called me out on it, like, as soon as I was, I was like, yeah, that's cool. He's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> like, he called me out on the voice. He's like, oh, you're doing the dude voice, huh? And and then, like, and then, uh, you know, and Bob always talks about the moment, like, the world, I, I used to think, like, oh, it's so sad for straight guys that they don't have girl. They don't have the word girl. They don't have their own version of, because, like, you can have a whole conversation with girl, girl, girl. And then I realized, yeah, they do. It's called dude. Dude, yeah, dude, right. they have it. Um, but like, there's that moment in a gay hookup. I'm going to say gay, but I usually mean MSM. In a gay hookup where you like won't let yourself say the word girl. And then there's that moment where it slips out. We are like, oh, girl. I mean, and then they're like, oh, girl, you too. Oh, girl, girl. And uh, but so there is a lot of performative masculinity in the gay uh, scene. And, and with that said, I also find that there's a lot of what I would call femme shaming in the MSM community where, you know, it's become uh, these these hookup apps have made it so OK to be discriminatory. Um, you know, we're all about love and inclusion when we're marching in the parades. But then you get on these apps and people are like, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, you know, and they'll talk about, you know, there's so much racism in the gay hookup. Culture. Again, when I say gay, I mean MSM. Why don't I just say MSM then? Because it's a lot more syllables. Somehow, listen, it's like the sanctity of preference. Like, like, sorry, it's just my preference. First of all, you don't seem to understand what preference means. Here's how preference works. Preference means I go to Chipotle, Chipotle? Chipotle? Chipotle. <laughs> Look at me not pronouncing things. Chipotle. <laughs> I go to Chipotle and they say, oh, we are out of brown rice today. Oh, you don't have any brown rice? No, I'm sorry. Can I wait and you'll have some available later? They're like, no, we complete, there's none left in the building. Fine, I'll take white rice. That's a preference. Saying, no, no white rice, not ever, not at all. I don't touch, I don't fuck with white rice. That is a bias. That is saying, like, I don't do white rice. I only do brown rice. Saying, I don't have sex with black guys or Asian guys. That's not a preference. That's... There's a word for it. That's actually just racism. That's what that is. That's racism. racism. And here, here's the thing. Like I, like, I have certain racial biases myself when dealing with, like, who I'm sexually attracted to. And I once asked, Bob is a person of color. Bob's a black man. And I asked Bob, we used to be roommates, and I asked him, like, why do you think that is that I have certain biases in who I'm attracted to. And he said, well, because you were sold an idea growing up. It's so hard for me to have a conversation about masculinity without it blending into race and class and other things, but there it is. But, but I mean, don't, yeah, yeah definitely. You're in the right place for that. I but, wouldn't ask you not yeah, to. Yeah, uh, uh, but, but Bob said, he's like, you were sold on the idea that black isn't beautiful and you believed it growing up. And I, immediately I was like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, wait a minute, why am I, why am I asking you but then arguing with you on the answer? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, you're not lying. Like, I certainly was not shown pictures of the ideal man or, or I didn't see, you know, happy couples or happy mixed race couples or happy black couples on TV. In my experience, black people weren't in commercials until after midnight. You're watching SNL 
Everyone in the commercials is white. SNL ends, and now it's Soul Train and Apollo, which I stayed up to watch. And suddenly, same McDonald's commercial, but everyone's black. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was such segregation in what we're shown on television. Representation is everything. Yeah, I mean, and like everything. that's where I got my ideas. And listen, I may have my own biases on who I'm, who I'm sexually attracted to based on race, but I don't accept them. Like, I challenge them. I, I've, I know I've derailed us, so I'll, I'll, I, I think I knew where I left us off. Uh, uh, so I'll steer us back a bit, but in the gay community, it's so uh, acceptable to to shame people for race or body or fat or femininity, um, you know, or also like their their uh, their disease status or things like that. Um, and uh, I just don't accept it. Like honestly, like the hottest guy could. And I don't have a type, but like the hottest guy who like, oh my God, this guy is rocking my world. I want to hook up with this guy. I will risk losing his interest to have the conversation. Like, oh my God, you are doing it for me. I would love a piece of that. And I need to say, I know I'm risking losing your interest by saying this, but it hurts me to see that you say like no femmes in your profile, or it hurts me to say that you say this. Well, the only thing that I want to say in response is this. I think that I feel like we always give ourselves excuses to insult others. And we don't realize the cycle that he creates, you know, because then we're, we're talking about compensations and things like that. And we know that compensation is very real in the performance of masculinity. And that ends up like looking like you know, some kids stabbing a girl in his high school or mass shootings or whatever. And it's like, I feel like we can't, we just can't assume that our behavior being directed at Trump or whoever else is not having a bigger yeah. like butterfly effect yep. that then turns into the very things that we say we don't, we don't want any more of. I, I don't know how to say that any better. It's like we assume all these behaviors we don't want to be called out on, we're assuming that they're not having an impact somewhere else in the world. Exactly. And they absolutely do. And the impact that they're having somewhere else in the world because of toxic masculinity, we don't have tools to cope with those impacts. Exactly. So like we're talking about addressing toxic masculinity on both ends, like removing the cap on what men are allowed to express, allowing men to access their femininity, and also like not causing these little, what I would call like microaggressions that we don't realize are hurting people or like giving ourselves license to hurt people just because we don't wanna, you know, because we're intellectually lazy. One, one thing I should say is that kind of brings it back to this. Like I remember as a, as a singer, when I was studying voice, someone told me like, there's the ched voice, chest voice and there's the head voice like that you would sing falsetto in. And someone told me, he's like, even if you never sing in your head voice, you have to still train your head voice. You wouldn't just wash the side of a dish that you eat off of. You'd wash the back of it as well. By spending time in your masculinity and spending time in your femininity, they strengthen each other. And I have to say, growing up as a gay kid, when it was so assumed that like, like Ben is gay, Ben is effeminate, Ben is different, I tried so hard to repress anything about me that was effeminate, but I also... Like we were told that we were rich growing up. Um, I don't know that I would agree that we were, but um, I was not one of the cool kids, if you can guess. And this one kid at school once asked me, he's like, well, why don't you dress cool? Like, why don't you wear like Z Cavaricis? This is dating me. Um, what the hell is that? Here, go ahead. You, you, you are not, you were not in high school in the nineties, I guess. But uh, you know, like all the, the clothes that would have been cool when I was a kid. He's like, why don't you, you know, dress in all these name brands and whatever that you were only cool. Like, you were cool because you wore that brand. And I was just like, well, I feel like if I came to school dressed like one of the cool kids, people would be like, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you dressing like that? You're not a cool kid. Why are you trying to dress? Like if I tried to act like a cool kid, people would immediately know that I'm not what I'm trying to pretend to be and put me in my place. Because of that, I never tried to act masculine. Like I tried to hide my femininity, but I never tried acting masculine because if I tried to act like a bro, people would put me in my place. And so, being gay became my identity. And I sort of became this, like talk about performing masculinity, I performed my homosexuality. Like I was 
the like I didn't know who I else I was supposed to be, but once I discovered that I had a role I can play, I'm like, oh, I'll be the gay guy. Like, I'm if one more person tells me, you know, who you remind me of you remind me of just Jack from Will and Grace. Thank, thank you. Um, but like, I became just Jack, like th that performative gay character. And when I moved to New York City, I noticed. Um, I, I actually do a play. I can't say the name of it because I it was a working title and I really want to change the name of it, but I'm, it's a play about sort of like a, it's sort of, I hate to call it a coming of age gay play, but it's a coming of age gay play. But when I moved to New York, I noticed people here aren't doing this. The gay community is bigger here, so I don't need to act a certain way to try to find my tribe. And I started to notice like I'm performing my gayness, but I don't have to. And then I suddenly discovered, I'm like, if I could drop that act, who am I really? And I started noticing like, I have all of these male sides to me that I've never allowed. My, like some of them emerge out of necessity. Like having to be tough in New York is a survival instinct. And having to be shortened to the point, which I associated that with being masculine, that is, you know, and not, and not being nice, which I considered feminine, this new part of myself started emerging, this like masculine side of myself. And I thought, what if I can like lean into that? Like I just, if growing up I performed my neutrality and then performed my gayness, I started learning to like lean into my masculinity. This is, um, I, I'm not terribly open about this publicly, but I do talk about this in my play. So if my family's gonna listen to this, though, but, but uh, I was an escort when I first moved to New York from like the time I was 21 to 25. And I learned really quickly what the client is paying for is the masculine experience. The first time I tried acting nice, for me that meant acting effeminate. And I thought I was just being polite. And I'm, he's not paying me to be polite and nice. He's paying me to be some tough corn-fed Midwestern jock. And so I really learned to develop this male persona, this aggressive masculine persona. And it was fun. It was a new character I could play. So I learned to really like this side of myself. But by discovering drag and having an outlet for all of my feminine characteristics, it really strengthened me as a person because I'm like, I now have somewhere to put my female. I have somewhere to put my male. And I know that I am not either of those things. And so I really feel like I have this healthy sense of gender where I'm like, here I am right in the middle and I can be masculine and I can be feminine. And there is a place for all of those things in my life. And, you know, for me, that looks like, you know, being an escort or being a, sorry guys, I'm not available anymore, but uh, well, I mean, you know, if you're my type and you got some money, I'm not going to say no, but, um, but I mean, I have a place for my masculine and feminine energy and they all fit into who I am today and they're all useful to me. And, you know, because of that, I feel generally pretty well adjusted. Like I'd feel all right talking about my feelings and, you know, I just, I just have to say one, I know we're so out of time. There's so much I wanted to talk about, but I used to assume because I'm gay, I can't be sexist. And one day I just heard myself think that and I thought, what if I'm sexist and I don't know it? And the next day, what I noticed because I was in that inquiry was there was a woman, you know, there was a group of men and all the men were talking and none of the men interrupted each other. But this one woman started to talk and immediately she was interrupted by a man who started explaining to her what he thought she was trying to say. And she waited and then she's like, when he's done, she's like, yeah, well, what I meant to say was, and then another man interrupted her and told her what she meant to say was. And I'm sure none of them thought they were interrupting or doing a bad thing. She never tried again. She tried twice and then she's like, I'm out. You know, she just she just sat back for the rest of the conversation. And it was the first time I noticed. And I went home and told my mom and my sister, I'm like, oh my God. And I told them what I saw and I was explaining to them how I felt about it. They're like, yeah, you're actually doing it to us in this conversation right now. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't escape it. But like, just because I'm a gay man, I used to think I had an out from this whole conversation about sexism and about like masculine versus feminine. And I don't. Thank you. What an amazing conversation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like we could talk for hours, honestly. We could, yeah. we could. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, before we go, I just want you to tell us where we can find... Because you got a lot of work, and it's incredible. I, like, I think 
myself, I just want to be like, see all the work you're doing and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I want you to see all the work that I'm doing. Um, I should say that uh, I have a few things to plug. One thing I promised myself I would say this before I gave my personal plugs, only because if I have an audience and have the, the ear of anyone, I want to get this out. A lot of people I talk to about this do not know that we now have a once daily pill that can prevent HIV infection. So many people just don't even know that, that that's a thing. It, it's been available for five years and no one's talking about it. So I just like saying that in case people have never heard it. It's known as PrEP, which stands for, uh, um, oh my God, <laughs> pre-exposure prophylaxis. The drug is called Truvada. And if you want to find more information about it, look on Facebook for PrEP Facts, Rethinking HIV and, and Sex, Re Rethinking HIV Prevention and Sex. Um, so there is information on that. It's available. Um, and uh, I would like to say you can find me at honeylabronx.com. That's H-O-N-E-Y-L-A-B-R-O-N-X.com. I'm Honey LeBronx on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all social media. Um, I don't do Pinterest or Snapchat because I'm not 18. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can find my cooking show, uh, Vegan Drag Queen. Just look up the Vegan Drag Queen on uh, YouTube. I got a cooking show. And my podcast is Big Fat Vegan Radio. Um, and uh, what else? Yeah, you can like my Facebook page, The Vegan Drag Queen, um, and go to honeylebronx.com to sign up for my mailing list and learn where I'm going to be performing and um, support me on Patreon. Also, support these guys on Patreon. They don't have a Patreon yet because no. I looked, <laughs> yes. but y'all should find some way. I'm sure there are listeners who would like, I would love to support these guys and what they're doing. Um, but I am currently touring with my drag show as a fundraiser for local animal rescue organizations. So um, I just did, you know, Baltimore and Delaware and Connecticut and New Jersey and lions and tigers and bears. And I'm about to do upstate New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut and Pennsylvania uh, later in the month. So you can find all of my tour info at honeylebronx.com. That's it. Beautiful. Yep. Thank you. I mean, I'll be tuning in. I've never been to a Honey LeBron show, which is outrageous. I mean, we've known each other for like two years now. Anyway, um, but yeah. Okay, cool. It's been an awesome show. Armoy, do you have any last thoughts? I'm blown away. Yeah. I feel so educated. I know. Informed. I know. I felt hollow woke. I feel like we should do like an like a Oprah after the show moment where like there's like the extra hour of bonus <laughs> footage because I've, I've got it. I could go into it. <laughs> I wish. Um... Anyway, so you guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Ben, for being here. Ramoy, as always, it's fun. Um, so you can find us on Masculinity. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Masculinity Pod. That's Masculinity with a K. Always uh, Masculinity Podcast on Facebook, although Facebook is getting a little shady lately. So, but, you know, as of right now, we're still on there. Um, so this has been Masculinity. My name is Samantha Zessi. My name is Ramoy George Philip the First. Thank you for listening. Ciao. Peace.